After a long break, I'm, I'm back in the country. You're up in Cairns with the family. Um, fair to say plenty's going on. What's happening? Yeah, like you said, plenty's happening. I guess we should say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone and um, and all that good stuff. And while uh, most people are getting back into the swing of things, we're getting back into the swing of having a podcast again. And it's uh, nice that we can both be in Australia at the same time. It's nice that we're both on the East Coast. At the same time, um, it makes life a little bit easier for us. And for, from my end, it's nice to be able to watch the NBL games and have a little bit more of an idea of, of what we're actually speaking about. Um, and we'll make it NBL-centric today. We'll, we'll stay away from the NBA. We'll pick that up next week. But you've been on the Wildcats all year. Let's get into this um, about perhaps them not being a title threat. Now, a couple of things have happened. They've gone and signed Ty Webster um just recently what do you make of that i think it was a necessity um mitch norton has really had quite a plummet this year from what we've come to expect from mitch norton i think there's aspects of his game where he's still valuable for that wildcats team but as a starting point guard and the hard thing is and you'll know, you'll know this chris is if you don't have an import point guard, you need to have a really, really good, solid Australian there. And they've been fortunate for so many years with Damian Martin. And then when he stepped down, that Mitch Norton was able to fill that void. Um, but they are the aging cats. Uh, they are expecting performances from some of these guys that they the way that they were playing three or four years ago. And to bring in someone of the calibre of Ty Webster, uh, only strengthens them to have that trio of the Webster brothers and Bryce Cotton on the perimeter, all playmakers, all people that have the ability to make a shot. I think that that makes them really, really dangerous, along with Brady Manick starting to knock down a few shots as well. And I'm really high. I know I don't understand why people are so down on Tayshawn Thomas. I actually think he's an incredibly smart basketball player who's playing his role really well. And um, look, I think it was a really good and a much needed change that the Wildcats need to bring in. Well, they're, uh, well, they've played less games than everyone in the league, less New Zealand. So they've got a little bit of time and it's interesting. I have little rumor, but um, just not quite sure. Bryce Cotton's knees a hundred percent. He's been getting a little extra work on that and sort of game time decision oftentimes from what I hear. So they certainly want to, wouldn't want to lose Bryce for two or three games. I think that could spell the end of their season, but it's such a great, it's going to be such a great finish to the season with, you know, I, I still don't think United is still a mathematical chance. I still don't think they'll get there. It's probably, Seven needs to go in the six, but um, just they're very that, much they're very much like that uh, Scotty Hobson New Zealand Breakers team where they just missed the finals, but they were playing their best basketball at the back end of the year and just this is missed out. You're talking about 
I'm talking about United, that they're, they're having a very similar season to what the New Zealand Breakers had a couple of years ago, where I thought they were the informed team going into finals, but they missed finals by one game. And so they don't get to play it. Scotty Hobson was hitting game winners. Uh, I think he hit the one in Brisbane, the one back, back at home. Um, Melbourne are very similar. They're, they're playing some really good basketball right now. Marcus Lee has made a big impact. I, I wasn't expecting that from Marcus Lee, but he's actually played a good role for them uh, coming off the bench. Um, but Rajon Tucker is the one that's actually got going um, in all of this. And uh, I agree with you. I, while there's still a mathematical chance, I think a couple of these wins by Tasmania, a couple of these wins by Cairns, where I think they were crossing their fingers and hoping they'll drop them. Yep. Uh, they haven't happened. And uh, the Taipans and, and the Jack Jumpers have looked uh, as solid as ever right now. And, and the big one was their loss, you know, the, the six or eight point lead in the final minute against Perth, which they'll. I oh, was at that game. I was at that game. That, that may very well be the one that they come back and shake their heads and wonder what if. Um, now, speaking of teams who are, who are battling for one and got a few injury positions of their own and they're sitting in sixth, but the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, um, that they just can't get, seem to get a, a clean swing at it with a, a fit roster. For me, they were as big a challenge to the Sydney Kings as anyone in the league with a full roster, but they just think, can't seem to get everyone on the floor. They've got more losses than anyone in the top six. They've got 10 losses. Perth still only have nine. And this thing at the end may come down to the number of losses, not wins, if, if the team's playing well. But talk to me about the Phoenix, because we've spoken a lot about United and the Phoenix always seem to be little brother. But are they a championship contender? Are they at risk of missing the playoffs? Uh, your thoughts? They're just a big question mark team in general, aren't they? Um, they really Joe are. Chi's gone back to China and we're not sure what's happening there, even though um, he hadn't brought a lot to this season coming in late and um, he just hasn't looked like his normal self. Um, Mitch Creek is a top two MVP candidate, in my opinion. Um, Williams, big source. He's been awesome. He's far ex exceeded expectations. But injuries to Brown, Kel, Brokoff, um, they're your main guys. That's 60% that's of your main guys not playing because of injuries. Um, they got exposed heavily the other night um, in that drop situation. And uh, was it New Zealand just went to town on them? Uh, I forget who, who South East Melbourne lost to the other day. But... They they just struggled uh, defensively. Uh, oh, sorry, it was against the Kings. Uh, they just struggled in that 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 drop situation. They didn't have an answer, and I thought they could have gone to um, put Mitch Creek at the five and against Xavier Cooks and go into a switching defense across the board, uh, but it didn't happen. Look, the main question is: Are they a championship contender? If healthy, yes. But when have they been healthy since I've come into the league? So, so, okay. so, so, so on that, that, that's your common thread, right? Since they've been in the league. At, at what stage do they need? To, because these are not all impact injuries. These are soft tissue injuries, right? 
at what stage do they need to look at the way they're preparing their players and the ability to keep them on the floor? Because you don't look through the rest of the league and see other teams having these same issues. Yeah, I mean, as you know, there's inner circle stuff. There's stuff that you know, and there's what we don't know on the outside. Um, I don't know what they do on a day to day, um, but there is a common thread there. And at the end of the day, I think it'd be something that they would have to look at. Uh, why does this? To. They they have to look at it at the end of the day, without knowing much about what happens inside that Phoenix organization. I would say if you were to label their career, I'd say it's been hampered by injuries. You know what? It's there was a lot of oh, there seemed to be a lot of pressure on Simon Mitchell. I think he's been doing a a good job for the most part of it. But you know the old saying: sometimes your best ability is availability. They have not had availability of their roster, and it's killing him as a coach, and it's killing the franchise as a whole. But Speaking of things not going great, our mate Sammy McKinnon and the shit show that's the Brisbane Bullets. Is this, I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. So for those listening who who aren't across it, they fired their head coach. Sammy McKinnon was in the general manager's role. Uh, he got put in as head coach for a few games and the players loved it. Then got presented with a contract that had termination clauses, performance clauses they asked him to give up his full-time role as general manager of the bullets to take this unguaranteed short-term role and the best of our knowledge he said no he'd much rather stay in the front office and they went and said that they'd fired him as coach went to went to hire a coach from overseas the players said they weren't going to play if he came in greg vanderjack came in now greg greg vanderjack Whatever we think of him as a coach, he got overlooked for every NBL one job in Queensland. And now he's a head coach for an NBL club. Um, I mean, the, the, you, when you watch the players play, they don't care enough. And, and I understand why they've got absent owners. They've got a micromanaging CEO. They've got no transparency between the ownership group, high-level management and the playing group, and it, it's just so disconnected. They, they need to get their owners in Australia. They need to open up their lines of communication and they need to let the right people who actually know about basketball make basketball decisions. I don't think the players don't care because I, you and I have been in situations where We've been through tough seasons. Well, you've been through a tougher one than me. And I know you're talking about the Sydney Kings when the owners almost walked at the tire power fiasco. Yeah, uh, firepower. Don't we don't tire power? So I say, a they're, they're a good sponsor. Fight. But, yeah. but hang on, but here's the thing let's not get too far into that today. The one thing you okay. had as the shit was hitting the fan was you had Brian Gorgian. And that was going to be my next point. Right. The, the leadership. Someone that we we knew we were getting screwed over in Sydney at the time. It, it was hard, and 
you'd see it on a daily basis, whether it was guys struggling with their mortgage repayments, whether it was guys trying to put food on the table for their, their wife, their partner, their kids and stuff like that. And we, ne- we just didn't know where the money was coming from. They know where the money's coming from. They, they're getting their money, the best of our knowledge. They're getting paid. They're out there playing. I still see Tyler Johnson on, on one leg, still putting in effort. I see Jason Kadee doing his best to try and rally the troops. Sobey's had some really good games throughout this period. But the lack of leadership from the top is evident. And um, it's not Greg Vanderjack's fault. No, of course it's, it's not, not his fault. Sam, it's, it's, not Sam, it's not Sam McKinnon's fault. Right. You look at the owners, you look at the CEO of all of this and how it's played out. This has been poor management, really, really poor management. Um, I actually feel really bad for the players. Like, See, here's the thing as well, though, that you and I both know that there were some on-court and basketball program hirings that would have been incredible that weren't allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is now, as that veteran, Sobey's been around, Baines has been around, Kadee's been around, Tyler Johnson's been around the world. When it when it's all said and done, and you're in a close game, at any stage, early in the game, late in the game, and you're looking like you used to used to look to Gorge, I used to look to Gorge, and you've just got confidence. He knows exactly how to get you over the hump. He'll get you up the yep. hill. He can see across the top of it. Greg Vanderjeck's never been there. He he can't see up the hill. He can't see over the horizon because he's never done it as a coach. He's never done it as a player. Like I said, that that's not his fault. He he needs a long apprenticeship as an assistant coach. But they need someone in that role where the players look Who to is- and say, "Hey, it's all going to be okay." Who is currently now two seats down from him, and his name's Perro Cameron. And he was, well, absolutely. And he should have been the guy that they hired a year and a half ago, or a couple of others. Um, but just the fact that he's now on the bench at least gives you some insight that there are people who know basketball, Sam McKinnon, in the organization who are finally allowed to make choices. And decisions. Yeah. Uh, a big one, Ian Clark. So I've got two questions. He joins an Adelaide 36ers team that have invested so heavily in making the playoffs and they've been stumbling a little bit but found a way to win last night as we record this against the Illawarra Hawks after falling eight behind. Uh, Clearly his pedigree, his assistance in helping the Sydney Kings win their championship. But first part of my question is, does he give them the ability to get them over the hump? And the second part is, why do we get to January every year and he doesn't have a contract? I don't know about point two, um, but I'm happy he's back in the league. And he's actually come in and fit in really nicely with this group. The only person that's probably taken away from is Robert Franks a little bit. He, For my liking, he's been a bit too passive and I think he holds the absolute keys to them winning a championship. I think you let Cleveland 
be his defensive Terry herself and slasher on the offensive end. You let Clark be your spot-up shooter um, and Mitch McCarron making plays. But it's got to be Robert Franks that has to demand, I'm going to say demand, demand the ball more, especially in that mid-post because he's hard to guard. They, they, have, they have a lot of guys who need the ball in their hands. And I'll go you a step further where now that they've got Ian Clark, Mitch McCarron's become an even more passive scorer. He, he To the extent where he's not even a scoring threat, he's not looking for his shot. We spoke about this 12 months ago. He's a boomer. And so you've got an extraordinarily talented point guard who's a non-scoring threat who on any given day, if he wanted to, could be a 15 to 20 point a game player. So he's very similar to DMAC, right? Sorry. Very similar to DMAC, though, right? Like DMAC was that. DMAC still had his 12 and 15 and got on the rim when it mattered. Yeah, McCarron last night got on the rim and tried to thread a needle instead of making an open layup. Yeah. Yeah, DMAC's mindset was different. Yeah. Maybe more like Nate Tomlinson. Yeah. I, I feel, I actually feel bad for for Mitch. Like, I feel like he gets, not by us, but he gets criticised both ways. It's like everyone's pleading for him to be more offensively minded. But I can almost guarantee you that CJ Bruton's going, you need to get everyone involved in, into the game early because that was a CJ mentality of Absolutely getting... Was getting people touches early and getting them involved into the game. And so I think Mitch's progression is how do I get everyone a touch? Like I run through my offense. I know that Robert Franks, we're going to get him for this place for him. And then I've got to get Cleveland something. And then I've got to get uh, Ian Clark something. But then in the second half, when defenses start to stretch out because they know, all right, we know that they're going to Franks or that we know that they're going to Clark or Cleveland. That's when DMAC was at his absolute best in the second half. Right. Uh, because you couldn't hedge your bets and then take the chance that he was going to throw it out because you knew, even at the age of 42 and 43, that he'd still turn the corner and go punch and, on someone. And you look uh, at Adelaide, which... you look, if you've got Mitch McCarron and then you've got Ian Clark, Antonius Cleveland, Robert Franks, and then put Daniel Johnson in there. There's there's a wide open lane for McCarron to go and get his four or six points a game in with that type of a lineup. There are so many scorers up there, across there. It's uh, no, it's problematic. But uh, championship the one thing I, or no? The one thing I do like about Mitch McCarron is that he'll go get himself an offensive glass and get a couple points from the O boards, and, and sometimes those things are, are valuable. Are they championship contender? They're currently fifth at 11 and nine where the game against the break is coming up. I'm saying contender. No. Okay. Here's one that got me. I I read when I got home that Chase Buford had been suspended versus the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix for a breach of a suspended sentence. And that's great. It's great that the league came to that decision if that was the right one. And we all know how animated Chase Buford can be. It's a positive, it's a negative. He got his suspension. The problem is, in a league or a season that's so close, 
after the incident with the Phoenix, he then went and coached against Melbourne United and was then suspended against Tasmania in a game that Kevin Lish then went and coached. Now, if I'm Melbourne United and we're battling our asses off to make the playoffs or a play-in game and the head coach of the team on top of the ladder receives a suspension for something that happened in the game before us, I'm mad because that show the suspension should have happened for the United game. And then he should have been back against Tasmania. Now, Tasmania United, two of those teams in the fight. It's just one of those professionalism areas that the NBL has to tidy up. We say it's one of the best leagues in the world. There are two glaring areas for improvement. The referees and the way we deal with situations like this. Yeah. I well, I mean, it looks like looks like. When looks have like you ever years. heard of someone getting suspended games after the event? Well, you don't. Right. You don't. Sydney responded well to Kevin Lish's coaching, though. That's sure, a positive. But, but hey, but if I'm Dean <laughs> Vickerman, I'd, I'd tell you what. I'd think, much rather have that fight. Do you think? Do you think Melbourne United can still make it into the playoffs? No, I don't. I just think there's one or two losses in there with the way that they're playing. I just don't think they're quite playing well enough to only drop one or two games the rest of the way in with the talent of their... They're going to hit a team that shoots the ball incredibly well or has a great game. While while I agree with everything you said, it wouldn't have mattered. Sydney still would have killed Melbourne without Chase Buford on the sidelines. You may very well be right. But... I still think it's uh, a, but, but just I a sign of unprofessionalism with all of the good. There are just these little pieces that the NBL needs to tidy up. And I just thought that was a really big one that yeah. people kind of skimmed over a little bit. I've got a personal one for you. We've got Dirk Nowitzki coming into town. And yep. we've I've spent hours each day, you know, taking emails, inquiries, and these types of things. And one of the big ones is so many people want an autograph, and I get that. And we've been at pains almost to say that, look, we could do half as many people for a photo and an autograph, but it does take time. It takes 15 seconds and 15 by 150 all of a sudden adds up and it becomes tedious for Dirk. And I want to ask you this. Plus, very plus, plus, plus the people that want to talk to you, talk to him as well. Right. So like, when you've got your head down, you can't look someone in the eye and have a conversation and, so my question to you, and the way we wanted to build it, and I hope your answer is what I think it's going to be, but given the choice of a photograph with Dirk or any legend of the game or famous person, a photo or an autograph, which one do you take? I'll do it in this order. A, beer with Dirk. B, photo of me having a beer with Dirk. C, autograph. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd have a photo every day of the week, Chris. Uh, and there's, I, I get that people are spending money to see an icon. And outside of Shaq and Kobe, Dirk is probably one of the biggest stars that we've had come to Australia in a long time. Um, so I, I can understand why people want both. But if you're asking me which one I'd rather have, I'd rather have a photo every day of the week. 
Well, I hope that's what most people think because we've had plenty who didn't call. But now, uh, look, he, he may very well end up signing one or two. But, you know, our hope is that people enjoy being around him, enjoy having a brief chat and uh, have their photo and they'll have that lifetime memory. But let, let's move on while well, he gets into town in a couple of days. So uh, I'm sure we'll get all the feedback after the events and, and we can't wait. But, mate, over the break, we uh, we did have a whole bunch of of questions got emailed in and sent through social media and uh we picked out uh five of the best um so i'm gonna throw them to you and i'll chime in with mine but uh the first one um the best player that you've ever played with not to make the nba um i think i have to go don to smith on this one uh, my teammate at the South Dragons uh, came in mid-season after Cortez Groves got injured and just really changed. We were, we were already a good team, but that changed the absolute trajectory of our team. Um, he was a big wing at that stage for the league and uh, uh, an incredible athlete. And while he started a little bit slow finding his feet, he just turned into an unbelievable player for us and uh, definitely a, a big reason that we won a championship that year. He, yeah, well, yeah, well, you beat us, of course. But he was he was like any import that came to Australia. It always takes a, a little while to adjust to the officiating. Travel calls, the, the fouls on the defense. Once he got that done, you're right, he was near on unstoppable but um for me it's sam mckinnon i I know it's going back a little bit further but you look at for for me he was the best wing defender i think in australian basketball history he was the best wing rebounder who could rebound out of their position and was so good at getting on the rim the only thing he lacked at the time was a jump shot which he found later in his career but by then the nba had probably uh passed him by but um no, no, for me, Sam McKinnon. And I did a summer league with him. He was so, so close. And the only feedback was his jump shot back in the day. The only other person I'd add to that is Matty Nielsen. Um, he, he was the boomer's captain at that stage. And um, he was coming off some unbelievable years in Europe as well, playing uh, over there in yeah, he, he was just an absolute stud. Great, great human being, great basketball player. Uh, probably, if it was nowadays, he would definitely would have made it to the NBA. All right, the second one, and this one's for both of us, but I'll let you go first because I know you're sick of hearing my answer. Mate, the most memorable game of basketball that you've ever played in? Um, I know you're expecting me to say my grand final win, uh, but it's not. I know you're expecting expecting me to say the Olympics, but it's not. Right. My most memorable basketball game was the first time I played a game for Australia. Right. Um, Tell me. It was, it was, uh, well, I I never made any junior national teams growing up. Um, I was cut from a WA state team and under 16s, WA country, no less. It means you have to be fairly shit at basketball not to make a WA country team um and so I remember I was finishing my last year at Metro State and I got a phone call from Gorgian who had told me I'd made the boomer squad and I was just you know this is the first he time I've made it. recruit you to the Kings is this what it was 
oh, it's probably played a part in it. <laughs> but uh, I just remember like hanging up that phone call and like calling my parents straight away because that was like me making the squad was like a huge moment for me uh, with no expectations of making that team either. And um, just playing. The first, I, I loved every time that I put the green and gold on. But, uh, yeah, I, I just remember my first game. I always remember my last game because it was on my birthday in China, of all places. Uh, and, I, and I made an all-star five in my last uh, China series. But, yeah, it, it was definitely any time that I played. Where, was, it, was, where was the first game, mate? First game was in Sydney versus China. Um, so it was, it was nice to have my first one in the court that I was playing on and, uh, yeah, it's just really, really cool moment <clears throat> that went from Sydney, then it went to Perth. So it was actually nice to play in front of the, uh, the home crowd in Perth. Awesome. Well, I mean, mine again, I think when you win a championship and yours wasn't the championships either, that's more about the entire season. The games themselves aren't as memorable as the moment you win it. Um, and I'd probably say the same as the under 23 world championships. We won that entire thing was an incredible memory. You know what? The, the most memorable one may have been beating of that tournament may have actually been, well, Treher hitting the three to beat Argentina in the semis, of course, but beating the USA to even get into the, into that. But for me, I guess, and you know it, I won't go into it too much, but I had one chance to play against Michael Jordan and we won it. It was incredible. It was in my rookie year. It was in March of 1998. And it was just one of those surreal games where you look down the other end of the floor when you're warming up and every single player and coach you recognize and you fall behind and you watch it now and how the hell did we win that? But they can't take it away from us. And as, as a moment where I remember every second of a game, uh, that one would be it. Can yeah. I can I just put in a a uh, my favorite game that we both played in? I think I know which one you're going to go, but go for it. Oh, there, there are two. It, is it the Lithuanian game? No. The New Zealand game. Yes. Yep. I'll let you tell it. No, well, I'd I'd come back from hip surgery, and all I wanted to do because we weren't able to make playoffs. Actually, at this stage, we were. We needed to win every game going in, you know, the, in, in the run home. And we were double figures down, 15-odd down halfway through the fourth. I had this horrible game. And in my head, I wanted to have one more game, like a, a really good one, just to almost prove to myself that I got back because I never really felt comfortable again coming back from my hip. And to do it with, God, to do it with you guys was... Um, we had that the last three minutes of the game where I think you and I hit every single shot between us. And it was one of those three or four minutes that absolutely everything went right. And New Zealand were tough. You know, Kurt Penny's down the other end. He'd gone crazy all game long. And um, I think CJ was on that team as well, was he? CJ Bruton was on that team. So to, come back, so. From, so to come back from 15-odd down with not many minutes to go, um, I think your corner three might have put us either in front or within one or two. And um, up one. 
yeah, that was incredible. And you know what? I don't have Foxtel anymore, and I had it saved on Foxtel IQ, and then my subscription expired, and I lost it, and I haven't been able to find it since. So if anyone has a game of the in 2010, the Melbourne Tigers versus the New Zealand Breakers, let us know. Or before you send it in, go and watch it because it's really impressive. Um, but send it in; we'd love, <laughs> we'd love a copy. Or just watch, just, I mean? just watch. The- Watch the fourth quarter. Don't watch the first three quarters. No, no, no. You don't want to know. You don't want to know how we got to be in that many behind. That was not good. Um, mate, moving on. And I really like these questions. This is fun. Um, this one's from Daryl Corletto. Um, if you had to put together a start five of NBL imports that you've played with over your career, try to stay positionally a little bit. Not. We chatted a little bit before uh, on, about this off air. It's. I'd, I had trouble picking a five-man because I didn't play with any import fives because I played 30-something minutes a game towards the end and I had Dorji and Bradkey at the start. You didn't play with import fours because you played 35 minutes a game from the time you started. Yeah. So having said all that, um, your best import starting five from teammates you've had over your NBL career? Um the first one I went with was Travis Trice when I played at the Cairns Taipans. Uh, he was just a Michigan State guard, rock solid. Obviously, uh, Brisbane came in and took him uh, off Cairns uh, because they saw the value in him. Um, just just a rock solid point guard that could could score, could do could do a little bit of everything. He was he was he was tough as nails as well. Um, Another, I guess, point guard, uh, Dante Draper, who I played mm-hmm. with at the Sydney Kings. Uh, you probably best remember him from the Game 4 game in Melbourne. Don't worry, I remember him from Game 5 as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dante had done his hamstring uh, leading into that game and Gorge hadn't played him much. And at three-quarter time, he just said, I'm not going out like this. Basically, I, I don't think he'd played more than five minutes up to three-quarter time. And I think he put in about 12 points in the fourth quarter with a, a partially torn hamstring. Um, just, he was unbelievable. He was he, he uh, was Tram- he was unbelievable that game. Tramel Darden. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back-to-back South Dragons imports here. Tramel Darden, who's obviously gone off and had a, fan- he had a fantastic EuroLeague career. Post the Dragons, uh, Donta Smith again, unbelievable player, and uh, the five spot uh, I gave it to our old mate Scott Morrison, um, not Scott Morrison, the former Prime Minister, not Scott Morrison, the former Perth Wildcats coach, the, but Scott the Morrison, real, the real Scomo, the real Scomo, um, unbelievable dude. I've never met an import that immersed himself into the Australian culture was part of the group as much as what Scott Morrison was. Um, he was had his nose broken 27 times when he was down here, just put on a mask, kept playing the next game, tough as nails, great dude. And, and he complimented our group. I remember recruiting him. I was coaching that team, of course, and he was exactly what we needed for that group. And I agree. I thought he was really, really underrated. And when he was out, uh, when it mattered down the stretch, we uh, we really missed him. But 
like you say, just a really, really good dude. Now I'm going to put a couple of really good dudes in mind as well. So I'll, I'll go quick because I don't think I need some exp explanation on a few of them. Daryl McDonald in the one. If, if I need to talk about how great DMAC is, then you should probably find another podcast. One of the best I've ever played with. I had Billy McCaffrey in at the two because I, I just think it's special when you win a championship with somebody and yeah, you look at it. He wasn't the he wasn't a, a genuine point guard, but how he was able to perform and some of the big shots he hit down the stretch. Granted, he wasn't the key guy in our team, but I had him in at the start, and then I remembered I played with a guy named Leonard Copeland in my rookie year. So, unfortunately, I've had to bump Billy, and I, I think you'll be okay with me bumping him for Leonard Copeland. But again, Copes is another legend of the game, and as as we go through through these, both great dudes, great guys. Uh, one of the best guys I've ever played with and one of the maybe most underrated imports, I think, in NBL history is Dave Thomas. Um, I mean, I know without bring you guys got to understand playing against him, how tough he was. Um, his unconventional offensive game, his mid-range game, his, his activity on the offensive boards, but his length on the defensive end, but try to find somebody that doesn't like Dave Thomas. He's like Warwick Giddy. You can't find them. It's, it's really annoying. But so DT in the three for me. Um, again, I didn't play with many import fours and fives. So a little bit left to center here. Jamal Mosley, when I was at the Victoria Titans, now the head coach of the Orlando Magic. But to the best of my knowledge, he was one of the very first imports who was okay with coming off the bench before it became a thing and before anyone knew that you needed a, a bench general. Um, I think it just speaks to the caliber of guy and the energy that he played with and that spark that he provided when we're at the Titans was out of this world. Um, and as another big and only played with him in the NBL for a very brief period of time, but I, I played with him at the Dallas Mavericks. I played with him at Unix Kazan and, and at uh, Ural Great Perm, Martin Mercer. And he's just someone that I don't think NBL fans in the short period of time that he was here and carrying an ankle injury, really understand how incredible he is. So I'm putting him as my five, um, all great people, all great teammates, all, all exceptionally talented. Put Martin Mirosep in the old drinking team as well. He was there. He's certainly not out of place, but uh, <laughs> mate, we, we do have one more and we're going to pick this one up next week because this has been a long episode, but we're going to have a chat next week about, you know, players who need to understand their role and how important it is to to understand that in successful teams. And we've got a few examples, but um, mate, that's long enough for now. But what I do want to do before we get offline, um, we've got Taz and we had really good feedback um, from Taz's tips last time through. So I'm going to get you to fire him through. Um, he actually did really well last time he's in. So I'm going to hand over to the Worthington family in Cairns. And we're going to wind up like this. All right. Taz's tips for round 15. Illawarra versus Tasmania. Definitely Tasmania here. Perth versus New Zealand. Um, Perth will take this out, I think, personally. Sydney versus Brisbane. Sydney because Brisbane isn't a good team right now. Brisbane, you, you got to speak up when you say and just say Brisbane are not good. Uh, New Zealand versus Melbourne. Oh, uh, New Zealand, but this is a needed win for Melbourne. So. 
Tasmania versus Adelaide? Um, I'm going with Adelaide this one. Why, why Adelaide in that game? Um, not quite sure. Just the feeling, <laughs> I guess. The death analysis in the Worthington family continues. This is great. <laughs> Cairns versus Illawarra. Uh, Cairns. From last time I checked, Hawks are still at the bottom of the ladder. Just kind of like Brisbane. They're bad. <laughs> Talking about bad, here's Brisbane versus Melbourne. Easily Melbourne. Also wants to get a, a needed win. Perth versus Adelaide. I'm taking Perth. You really hate Adelaide. Yeah. Um, New Zealand versus Cairns. I want Cairns to win. Favoritism. Yes. Uh, the uh, the New South Wales rivalry, Sydney versus Illawarra. Sydney. And the last one of the round is Southeast Melbourne versus Brisbane. Southeast Melbourne. Why? Because Brisbane saw. Okay, there it is. So that is Taz's tips for round 15. Um, we'll leave it there, big fella. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for everyone who's listening. And we look forward to talking to you next time out.